0: Welcome back to another episode of Keone Chats. If this is your first time checking out the show, I welcome you. Full episodes can be found on all major podcast platforms. So that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. New episodes are announced on social media, and you can follow the show using the handles at KCMedia13 on Instagram and Twitter, and K Media on Facebook. Episodes and other creative content is available on my website. KeoniConlu.com, K E O N I C O N L U.com. That is where you'll find some photos. Uh, I haven't taken any photos with my uh, camera as of late, uh, but if you want to see some of my previous work, that's where that could be found. Uh, I also do a couple block series, so the DC Animated Review Series uh, 2022 is out there, so if you would like to check it out, see what films I liked, which ones I didn't. Uh, that's this is where you can do that then the nfl mock drafts so nfl or 2023 nfl mock draft 2.0 that is out officially if you followed on social media you would have seen the announcement there Uh, and just in time for the draft because as i'm recording this intro uh, the draft is set to happen on uh, april 27th and so we got about a week uh, and i'm excited i love the draft it's a lot of fun to you know, just see where, see how teams can improve. And then some part of me is also like, I also just want to see which jersey I'm going to buy <laughs> um, for which college prospect because I like him. So, uh, yeah. So, again, as I'm recording this, uh, we're about to wrap up April. April 4th is my brother's birthday. And then April 5th is the anniversary of my dad's passing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a weird balancing act or a weird juxtaposition of, you know, celebrating the birth of my brother and the fact that he's in this earth. And then also the next day, um, memorializing, remember my dad's life and just, you know, again, just remembering him and making sure that he gets uh, celebrated as, you know, he moved, he went off to a better place. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then on April 11th, uh, went on a vacation uh, with my partner. We went to Hawaii. Uh, she was always wanting to go. And with my uh, my mom's side of the family, having family there, this was a perfect opportunity to uh, escape work for a little bit, uh, have some fun, uh, be in sunshine. <laughs> uh, because uh, April in Oregon is usually filled with rain and uh, that's not fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a busy month, emotional, uh, very uh, draining, but also very happy. Uh, a lot of enjoyment and just getting to see cousins and uh, family. I haven't you know, I, the last time, at least my side, the, you know, my brother, my mom, my grandma. We last time we were in either Oahu or Maui uh, was ten years ago. So that was. That uh, that was crazy to really finally get a date because I know it's been a while, but to finally get a date, or like, holy smokes, um, so yeah, um, while it was fun but draining, exhausted, trying to figure out again, working on Pacific time zone, what really gives me always jolts me up with energy is uh, just continuing on with this podcast work and continuing to give folks like my guest this week, Ashby Rodriguez, the opportunity to have her story be told and listened to from around the world. So at least a portion of her story. Uh, so the last name Rodriguez sounds familiar. Uh, that's because she is married to uh, my former guest, David Rodriguez. They moved around. So, uh, you know, they were in uh, college town of Corvallis. Then they went down to Bend and then now they have what they feel is their, their final home. So they're doing a lot of home renovation, but not with any like actual professional training or going to school for anything. They're they're using what they call a YouTube university. So uh, I thought that was very interesting and challenging. And just just hearing it makes you really wonder, like, wow, how are they still doing this and not at each other's throats? But they find a compromise. This was a great chat. Uh, Ashby. I thank you for telling your story and uh, trusting me to get it out to the world. Uh, so however you are listening to this episode, I hope you enjoy my chat with Ashby Rodriguez. Uh, Ashby, formerly known to some circles as Conwell, but now is known as Rodriguez. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you, Kenny?
0: Good. So um, first off, We met each other through a mutual acquaintance, but, you know, he's more of that uh, to both of us. Uh, Your husband, one of my, you know, the quote-unquote friends that are like brothers, David Rodriguez, former guest. Uh, uh, When I say former guest, did he give you any prep work? Did he give you a clue in? My methods have evolved since the chat I had with him, but um, what did he say when you said that you're going to be on the show?
1: He said, absolutely do it. <laughs> he was very encouraging. He thought it would be a good experience and yeah. something new to try. He didn't give me any uh, prep, you know, no notes or anything like that. But he enjoyed doing that interview with you, and um, I definitely enjoyed watching it. So I was honored to be asked.
0: Yeah. is um, So he was the first person I've ever done an in-person with. And then fast forward, I don't even know how many times I've done an in-person since, but it's like it just looking at that time when I did that interview with him and just saying like, Oh man, wow. Yeah. My, it's just funny looking back and then seeing how, when you're starting something new, you're like, I wasn't that. Okay. That wasn't that great. That wasn't, I could have sharpened up there. uh, camera angle lighting could have been better. Um, you've in terms of hobbies, I know you're you're a homeowner now. Are, Are there some things that when you first got in the house, You're like, I have an idea of how this works. And then you start doing you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) So many things like that, yeah. And mostly things that I really didn't have an idea about at the beginning either that I've learned a lot about. So it's definitely been a learning curve.
0: What what are some of those projects?
1: Um, Well, David, my husband, is really the handy one in our relationship. So my goal throughout this process is to be the supportive apprentice, ah. um, you know, handing tools, very important tasks like that. Yeah. Um, but he did things like installed skylights. And so we were up in the heat of summer in the attic, you know, putting in insulation and drywall and things like that. Yeah. Um, f- fixing pipes, lots of kind of aesthetic things. We've been painting um, yeah, lots mm-hmm. of things like I never knew I'd be digging out stormwater drains um, <laughs> and replacing those. So I've been learning a lot.
0: I, I, I yeah, and talking to him about the house and how it's coming along. He always says, which is funny because now it kind of signifies the time, the, the times. He's like, Oh, YouTube. It's been a great benefactor. It's been a great teacher. Have there been times where you're like, You know, honey, I love you, but maybe, just maybe we should hire a contractor.
1: <laughs> Honestly, no, I trust David more than I trust like any contractor that we have hired. So between him, his skills and YouTube university, it's been good to us. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then just, yeah, so you married David back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just, so growing up with him, uh, I guess as close to him as I can be, He's more of my brother's really great friend. Um, I was like, okay, David, he's such a, like, every he, a lot of people gravitate towards him. A lot of people mm-hmm. want to just be around him, talk with him, hang out with him. Uh, and then I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you two met was through church activities?
1: It was through uh, my aunt and uncle who met David at their church. Okay. So there is a church connection.
0: Okay. Was there any intimidation to the fact that everyone wants to be around him and be like, oh, can I, can I, I, at least from, like, from my perspective, was like, can I, can I keep up with this guy? Can I, can I, can I, you know, uh, go blow for blow in terms of conversation, keeping up with it? That's a good question. Or were you just like, hey, this is, let's roll with it.
1: Um. Because I met David in like an individual kind of setting and we got to know each other long distance. I didn't see him in social settings Mm. till I had already gotten to know him pretty well. And so I was drawn to him. I think he's like very charismatic and like um, does draw people toward him. But I didn't get to see that in like a group setting until we were already together. Mm. And then I would go visit him in Corvallis and get to kind of witness that firsthand. Yeah. So by that point, I figured, yeah, let's roll with it. Yeah,
0: because you were in Washington, right? I was in San Francisco, Francisco. actually. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Still not in the same state.
1: Correct. Yeah, (laughs) 10-hour drive apart, yeah. Uh,
0: And then the long-distance relationship. Uh, I did that for a little bit in college. That was not my thing. How did you two make it work?
1: Um, I think ultimately we're both committed to making it work. Uh, We saw each other, I think, every month. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd take turns visiting and, you know, talked all the time and texted all the time and would do our homework both on MSN Messenger (laughs) throwback (laughs) just to kind of pretend we were hanging out. And yeah, yeah, but almost two years of long distance was definitely a challenge. And we encountered a lot of difficulties with that. But I'm just really thankful that we were able to make it work. It's been worth it.
0: I, I think for me, I'm an affectionate person. My yeah, my love language is touch and also just like hugs and whatnot. So um, when I did the long distance, that was the part that like kind of twisted me the most. I was like, I can't hug you and I can't, you know, if if something's going on and you're crying on camera while we're talking, I can't console you. Like what was some of those obstacles you two faced?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me and, we had kind of the a, dif- a different situation um, from most in that we started our relationship long distance. So it's not like we had the ability to be physically affectionate and then that was removed. Um, And so I think it took a lot of intentionality, especially because he was in pro school and that's a very demanding program. And I had less demanding like things in my life. Um, And so that was hard for me that he wasn't available as much as I was. Mm. Um, So just a lot of like talking it through, obviously there were disagreements and conflict around those things, but I think both of us having that commitment to like working it out, even if it's really difficult, is kind of what mm. made it possible.
0: So, but you are a Washingtonian. I
1: am. Yes. So,
0: grew up in Washington, went to San Francisco for college, mm-hmm. or was a graduate. Undergrad. Undergrad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, that alone. I mean, I'm not not trying to take it as bare as it can be. Washington's cold and rainy. San Francisco, not at all. So. And then going back to Oregon, so you've basically touched all four states of the Pacific Northwest. Um, What would you say is the, I guess, what was the the learning curve when it came to changing cultures from Washington to California and then California to Oregon?
1: I feel like the... The culture shift to San Francisco was just more of like an opening of the world and like Mm -hmm. possibilities. And it's a super diverse university and a super diverse city. And so the opportunity to meet people from all over the world and um, like live alongside them and all of those opportunities was really just kind of like my world opening up. Um, And I loved that. And then I would actually say the bigger culture shift was moving to Corvallis because University of San Francisco is just like a little dot in the middle of the city. So there's very little kind of traditional university happenings. And so I moved into into a house in Corvallis with, I think, seven men. (laughs) <laughs> and at that point, like, I didn't like beer. I didn't understand yeah. what all this hype about IPAs were. I'd never been to a football game as a college student. My uh, my university didn't have a football team. And so that was just, like, more of a shift of having more of a traditional university experience after I'd graduated. Mm-hmm. Just learning what it's like to be in a college town. I'd never had those experiences, but I loved it.
0: Yeah. I, I think from the times we've interacted, you know, whether it's with David and— which it kind of blows my mind to think this is actually the first time we're going to have a, a true in-depth conversation one-on-one because every time we had it, has been like a party setting, so we can't really like talk too much because it's loud. We can't get too in-depth because sometimes other things can happen. The next thing you know, the concentration is kind of broken. But um, you always seem to me as someone that can jump into a group of guys and not feel intimidated. You know, you can you can keep up with boys. And uh, but living with seven, that's a whole different story. How how was that for you?
1: Yeah, that was a shift. I'd only (laughs) had I think I had one male roommate before that. Um, Cleanliness, you know, there's Mm. a reason it's a stereotype. I think we shared two bathrooms among like eight of us and, you know, probably like one regular fridge and keeping the kitchen clean was a challenge. So I just kind of resigned myself to like keeping my spaces clean and not trying to be responsible for everyone. I, all the folks I lived with were fantastic. And it just speaks to like the, mm-hmm. our time of life that that's inevitable.
0: <laughs> I, I think that was, um, when I went to go visit you guys, yes, it was something like, okay, the, the sink was filled. I mean, I at this one in college when I was visiting you guys in Corvallis, I think I was still more of the was living solo kind of. Uh, I, I could be a little OCD with my cl- cleanliness because that's how my mom ingrained in my head. But um, I think when I do go over there, I always remember seeing the sink was always filled with dishes.
1: 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's the only thing I remember. I was like, okay, let me it's just fine. But it's like when I like, you know, take a shot and then put the glass in the sink, I'm like, okay uh right there.
1: <laughs> Where it won't fall and break. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then you're you're able to to leave that to survive that experience.
1: Oh yeah, I That's think because big. it was a different experience than I'd had when I was in college, I just kind of leaned into it and mm. enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. And then you have a brother. I do. I have a little brother.
1: A little brother. Mm-hmm.
0: And then what was I mean, you know, obviously he's met David, but um what was his first opinion of of him and you know because at, at this i know i'm 30 31 now so it's like the idea of like being with someone and kind of running it to where you guys are in terms of marriage that's such a comfortable thought now was your brother like oh i guess i'm more thinking of like because my brother can be a little protective mm-hmm. and he's like i want to make sure like he doesn't say this explicitly but like i can see it in his eyes where he's like, I want to make sure the person you pick is best for you. Was there anything like that when your brother met David?
1: That's a good question. I don't remember anything explicit, and I wonder, too, if it has to do with the fact that my brother is five years younger than me. And so I do think he certainly had those thoughts, and he was 16, when david and i met and so like i you know brought david home for the first time to meet the family and it all went well and they liked him right away and so i think it's ultimately like you say like with siblings as long as that person makes my sibling happy then i'm good and they like each other and get along well so Mm. i'm thankful for that yeah Yeah, that would be a hard one (laughs) otherwise
0: i think that was a sign also of um it this is my partner now she's you know the, the one to kind of see the rest of life with uh when she was able to get along with my brother and you know when it came to playing fantasy football together she would she would trash talk him too
1: oh that's a good uh, sign (laughs) i was like all right cool i like that (laughs)
0: this is yeah uh so during your time in corvallis you um obviously weren't in school because you're done with that chapter Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh but in terms of like a living. A way to sustain or have a comfortable form of living uh you worked at card v which is center against rape and domestic violence um which when i first heard about it i was like card v is that like a thing from like valentine's day i don't know why <laughs> yeah. um but you were there for about you know a year six seven months um and so how did you get into that kind of work and then what was your first day or so like
1: yeah. Um, I When I moved to Corvallis, I worked as a nanny for the first almost a year, just like an easy thing to plug into. And so while I was doing that, I started volunteering at Cardva and working in the shelter, like in the evenings and taking care of kiddos and providing emotional support um, and found how much I liked that. So I had studied sociology in college with the goal of doing some form of social work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so starting there as a volunteer was kind of a way to dip my toe in and see if I did really like that work. Turns out I did. I felt really drawn to it um and so after a couple months of volunteering there i applied um and started working there so yeah that's kind of like started my career trajectory i'm still in in a very similar field
0: Mm -hmm. obviously not i think when uh so i graduated the 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 paper i was referring to earlier as the Mm -hmm. diploma with journalism communications uh, i thought of maybe oh if i want to stay in this field I'll have to stay in Eugene and, and, you know, where University of Oregon is and, you know, work at some news stations there. But the idea of just staying in a college town was so exhausting. So uh, happy you made that transition out of, well, did you ever do some work from home stuff while there? Because I don't think so. I don't think so. Work from home was kind of a a fabled story at that
1: time. Yes, that did not (laughs) exist in my world. (laughs) Um,
0: And then... The sociology. Uh and then I had this random thought, but like, you know, with your it was on Uncle that met David. Um how because I, I don't know how to word this, but I know in some I'm not a big religious person. I don't really know much about you, so you can help fill in the blanks mm-hmm. for me, but um there's some sort of is there's some sort of savior complex within religion. Um and then I'm trying to think like oh does this also kind of help fuel you to do it? Because I don't know how close you stuck with religion.
1: Oh, to fuel me in in my work?
0: Yeah, and continue doing the work because you could have done this for a year and six months and be like, you know what, I'm gonna work at Adidas or something mm-hmm. like that. so did, did the 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 lessons you learned while you know in church or you know practicing religion has that helped? Did that help at least in the beginning? kind of get you going on the on this career path.
1: That's a good question. I don't think so. Okay. Um I did grow up in a conservative religious like family and community and don't hold those um perspectives anymore. And okay. so I think when I started at Cardva was kind of like around when I was my beliefs were shifting and I was like thinking of different ways of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Um but I have always felt a very strong sense of kind of responsibility to use like what I now understand to be privilege and things like that, um, to help other people. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's related to kind of my religious upbringing or not, but that's definitely a thread that I've carried mm-hmm. through and has really motivated me to want to stick with, um, you know, social services and that type of work.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cause like, I, I feel like that has been, I've gone to church at least a handful of times. Um, my partner, she jokes around, she says, We are, we are CEOs because we only go on Christmas and Easter (laughs) and there was something for the, Oh, but I can't remember, but
1: professional church goers. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So just from what I've heard, there is some sort of like, you know, if you feel lost, if you feel in the dark, then, you know, then there's religion to help you kind of guide yourself through that. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of where I was thinking.
1: Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. And I think that's probably the case for some folks. Just isn't for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then um, you know, we kind of touched base on this beforehand, but just hearing what the acronym CARDVA is and the work that you do with there, how was that first month of just hearing all the experiences that some of these people you're working with are going through and not be like, damn, people suck. You can curse on there. So you'd be like, <laughs> <Okay>. people <laughs> fucking suck.
1: <laughs> yeah. I definitely did have that learning curve and that's something that also kind of sticks with me still, you know, when, when the focus of my work is basically helping people who've been harmed by other people, it's really hard to not carry that perspective around in general and just like, it's horrifying the things that people do to each other. Um, But when I started working at Cardva, I was an overnight shelter advocate. So I would have the like 24 hour hotline, Mm -hmm. but it was rare that I would get calls um, and so, and typically like the residents were asleep for most of the shift. So they were super quiet. Um, and so in a way I kind of eased in to that like vicarious trauma and challenging piece around it because um, about three months in I moved to a daytime role. Okay. And with that one, my, my whole job was responding to the hospital and law enforcement. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of like, oh yeah, here three times a week I'm getting really in my face kind of experiences. And so that was really when I had to... Um, kind of like buckle down on my self-care and learning what types of things do work for me as mm-hmm. far as making that sustainable and not having it just like totally weigh me down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there are times where like I'm thinking, uh, so I guess an example is like my work. I got them <clears throat> to go to a couple of Timbers games and Thorns games, the professional women's and men's soccer teams here in Portland, Oregon. Um, and then now when it comes to that, now we're talking that we're kind of revving that up again, I just kind of puff my chest. out will be like, I'm working with the timbers and thorns. <laughs> um, what was it like to say that I am working with the police department or I'm working with these other kind of big government figures to help this person out?
1: Yeah, I, um the police are a challenging topic for me. And so (laughs) even at that time, um, you know, a lot of the folks I worked with were uh, undocumented or had had negative experiences of the police. And so um, it wasn't so much like feeling great about that exposure, but rather really thankful that both of those entities like, you know, Good Sam and Corvallis and that area and law enforcement called us as advocates to fill kind of this gap that's not within the services that they provide, mm-hmm. um, but they get exposed to folks who've experienced those types of violence in a way that other entities don't. And so I have always been definitely thankful for those relationships and the ways that we can kind of work together to serve survivors.
0: Okay. Okay. That's... I I don't know, again, just taking it from an outside perspective, just thinking that the police has, I mean, you know, trying to not think about too much what happened since 2020 with the, the police, just think, you know, 2019 and prior, it's like, oh, you know, they've seen a lot of things. And then I just remember any interactions I had with police cop was like, hey, can I have a sticker? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just remember like having, be able to have those like in more in-depth conversations with people I work with f- feeling pretty cool. So, um, mm-hmm. having a different kind of conversations with police officers, I mean, granted this, not the, it's sometimes not in the best context, but it's like, still, it's, you know, still different.
1: Yeah, definitely different. And I think I, I experienced that a lot more with folks who worked at the hospital, mm-hmm. um, And just kind of being honored to get to work alongside them who are doing really difficult work every day also. And both of those, like folks who work in the ER and law enforcement are exposed to trauma all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, folks who've been able to do that work for a long time and have that be sustainable, obviously know some things that the rest of us could stand to learn from, you know.
0: Yeah. And so um, kind of, you know, I guess going on the lines of your work. So no longer at Cardva, you are. Uh, with, well, the company is called Saving Grace of Central Oregon. Mm-hmm. So uh, your your focus is now shifted from Corvallis to kind of, would it be like Medford, Bend? Bend. Bend, mm-hmm. more centralized. Yep. Uh, and so their their mission statement is offering safety, hope, and healing to survivors of intimate partner violence and sexual assault and engages Central Oregon to build life free from violence. So that's... Exactly from their LinkedIn page. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was it about this comp- this new company that you wanted to? Uh, they how did they how did you find them out? And then, what made you want to say, okay, let's let's do this? Because again, you could always go, I'm gonna go work at Adidas. I'm gonna go sell shoes.
1: There, thankfully. Across our whole country, there are these similar programs like Cardvar Saving Grace that cover like all together the whole country. Mm-hmm. So each program typically has a couple counties they cover. Um, and so I had heard of Saving Grace because working in Corvallis, sometimes we'd refer folks who are trying to get out of the area to that program. Um, After I left Corvallis, David and I moved to Columbia for a year. And then when we came back, um, he had a friend who had a job opportunity for him in Bend, which is how we landed there, Mm -hmm. um, and just had like two friends and had, I think, visited once before. And then um, as I was looking for work, I hadn't necessarily planned on going back to that field. Um, It was very difficult and challenging. What what were
0: some options you you kind of fielded?
1: um, I honestly... I may have applied for a couple like childcare roles, but it's it was rare at that time for positions to be open at Saving Grace and it happened to be on Craigslist, like it just oh. the week I was looking for work and so I thought, well I I know how to do that work and it was for a bilingual Spanish position and so um I'd never been hired as a bilingual Spanish anything um mm-hmm. but I had those skills so that was kind of a stretch to apply for that. Um and then at the same time it was very similar work and so I could kind of just plug right in and start getting things done and so i was surprised i think that i ended up in that again um and thankfully it's a really supportive work environment and so it's been able to be sustainable for me for the last six years Mm.
0: yes i mean yeah if you're able to still stick with it to this point and you know it's giving you a comfortable living and you you know you don't dislike it so it's like let's keep going yeah um Something also that kind of, again, early on we were talking about David. I didn't want to just talk about David because you are your own person. We'll but... talk
1: about him all day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Me too. Uh, <laughs> uh, he is a fluent Spanish speaker. How was your Spanish before you two started talking, or I guess, you know, started picking up in terms of your relationship? Mm-hmm. Did you have to learn more on the fly, or are you just like, I feel I'm pretty comfortable where I am?
1: I was pretty confident. Um but I, I still struggle with identifying myself as fluent. Mm. Um, and he teases me and says like, that's ridiculous. Mm. Um, I can help people fill out restraining orders and divorce paperwork in Spanish. I can translate like on the fly kind of thing, but um, I still do you know have some insecurities about that. But I will say that I spoke um, very well when I met David and he, now teases me, but I think that he seriously would not have dated me if I didn't speak Spanish. Really? Yeah. He was like, whoever I date needs to be able to communicate with my family without a translator. Like that was really important to him. Um, And so people often ask me if I learned because of him. And I feel a little bit (laughs) indignant. (laughs) No, I knew how to speak Spanish before I met him. And little, you know, vocab things, Colombian sayings, certainly I've learned along the way. But um, I had, I stood on my own ground before that.
0: Now, you know, it's on camera. It's going to be out, it's documented <laughs> forever and ever that you knew Spanish before David I came didn't. to the picture.
1: Yes, thank you for that opportunity.
0: Keone Chats is proudly sponsored by Adelsheim Vineyards. Adelsheim has been a winer in the Pacific Northwest since 1971. Founders David and Ginny Adelsheim opened up the winery with the goal to create world-class wine in the Chehala Mountains of Oregon's Willamette Valley. Adelsheim partners with Growing Gardens, One Barrel, the Portland Trailblazers, and now the Keone Chats podcast show. Uh, Adelsheim has been working with the the show for a little bit now, so uh, I can't say thank you enough to Emily McMullen and her team for uh, giving this little podcast, this wonderful opportunity for the listeners to try some of the products. Uh, so if you're interested in trying some of Adelsheim's wine, you can go to adelsheim.com, adelshei com, and then go to the menu option in the upper right-hand corner, and then start creating a cart. Throw in some rosé, th- throw in some Chardonnay, throw in some uh, Pinot Noirs, and then maybe something from the merchandise section. Why not? So, before you check out, use the discount code Grand Crew, G R A N D C R U, for 20% off your total purchase. That is amazing. Uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to Adelsheim for being a sponsor of the show. Um, and so, uh, again, that discount code is Grand Crew, G R A N D C R U. 20% off your total order. You must be 21 and over to purchase any wine from Adelsheim, but the discount code is still good on merchandise regardless. And so everyone, please enjoy responsibly. I'm just I'm putting myself with someone in the, in the client situation that you encountered, and then they see, oh, you'll be working with Ashby Rodriguez. And then when you walk through the door, I feel like there could be some some i guess if i'm a spanish someone from mexico having some bad some issues going on i see that i'm working with ashby rodriguez and then i see you walk through you're like huh that's 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 weird do you ever get that kind of have you gotten that since you've changed your last name of someone expecting to work with a fluent spanish speaker or someone that looks like they're from mexico and then you come in and they're just like oh this is this is not what I was expecting
1: I have not had that experience to my knowledge okay. Um, okay so at both agencies I've worked in and kind of anecdotally from others around the state like there's always a high um, need for spanish-speaking advocates and so my impression has been you know if someone speaks Spanish, Well enough to do the work then the client is grateful that they can work with someone in their native tongue without needing like a translation service or something Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely am aware of that and especially like with applying for jobs because typically a client wouldn't see my last name before I meet with them They may just know that there's a spanish speaker and it's pretty common in oregon to also have like non-native folks who work in the field who speak other languages Um, but with applying for jobs in my field it's really an an advantage to not be a cis straight white woman or whatever and so sometimes i feel like i falsely represent myself as not intentionally obviously um but as being hispanic and then i show up and i'm not a native speaker and you know don't have those lived experiences but um yeah, I haven't. No one has vocalized a disappointment to me about <laughs> that. But I, I thought does will. Happen. But it was just one of those.
0: I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, Maybe this has something. um That's just a good Yeah. You you have a lot of I want not say client client facing. Is that the proper? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, you're very client facing. Um. So that that would put you a different echelon as if let's say you're doing because I know you did some online some. Uh, i guess work from home stint during 2020 so yes
1: and i'm still fully remote
0: fully remote mm-hmm. so that in that case you can still see some of your because can you just have to be your first name or can you for zooms i'm just imagining oh zooms, yeah like um your, your, your i don't name's there
1: yeah totally i don't zoom with clients very often so i used to do a lot more when when we were in person a lot more specifically like client-facing work, I still answer the 24-hour helpline, but they're not seeing me or getting my last name, really. Okay. Um, there's no need for that, even if I give them my first name. So, okay. yeah, folks don't really know. Okay, What was
0: 2020 like for you? And I guess 2020 to about 21.
1: Um, I really liked the beginning of the pandemic. Unpopular opinion. <laughs> Aside from, you know, like the impending doom and fear, yeah. I felt like... Um, Living in Bend was a really easy place to be because there was a lot of space and um, my work had to continue. We had to continue going in in person. So while there were definitely safety precautions and things, um, we did like things didn't change that much. And I don't know, we did silly things like David and I would walk the dog in animal onesies just because like. It was a weird time. We, yeah. we drew giant hopscotch on our sidewalk in front of our house with chalk. And we would just sit there working at the dining room table watching adults all day do hopscotch in front of our house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we were able, due to you know, privilege of our position and things like that, be able to just kind of be like, well, this is weird and kind of fun in a weird way to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mid-2020, we moved to Portland. Um and we were both really excited about being closer to more of our community. We both have a lot of friends and family in this area and we moved right downtown and mm-hmm. so it was bizarre and fun again in a really odd way. We'd walk the dog off leash at night and we were close to a lot of the BLM protests which was exciting to be near mm-hmm. um near the courthouse and then it was also kind of a ghost town and um, it was just a weird time, but kind of yeah. exciting. And we were really excited to be back in Portland. And so that really kind of like overshadowed some of the, the personal challenges of that time.
0: Yeah. I, I think I told this to my brother or my partner. I was like, you oh, know what's weird? When Ashby and David were living in downtown Portland, we barely saw them. But when they moved to Oregon City, we see them (laughs) almost once a month. Honestly,
1: (laughs) more of a trek. We appreciate y'all making it, but... I think it's more like...
0: Yes, it is a trek, but um, it's... I'm a big, like, I need parking space. I don't want to fight for parking. That's right. That's where you guys were at, though. You were were fighting for a parking spot for people visiting you. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of... I realize something that makes me very attracted to my partner is that we're both very goofy and playful. Um, now for you and dealing with your work and then COVID or you know beginnings of COVID, what was it like to have someone as goofy as David drawing hopscotch you know little pathways on your sidewalk. What was it like to have that person there with you to make it not so bogged down, not so stressed out.
1: Yeah, I think that was an enormous factor in my kind of ability to maintain decent mental health, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, And I'm very thankful for that, like the comic relief and lightness um, that we have together in the David Brinkster relationship. And I also think there was almost like a flip causation where the pandemic was really good for me because I was able to step away from the everyday grind of in-person trauma. Mm-hmm. And so even though I would like create schedules where only two people were in the office at a time, that meant I was working from home a lot more and just able to have some distance and not have to be like on every moment that someone walked in my door, mm-hmm. um, in my office door. And so I also feel like it was it helped my mental health, which then made me feel more open to be able to be, like, playful and relaxed and, like, bond over the weirdness that was the world at yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, because when I'm living in the trauma all the time, it's also hard to just snap out of it. Yeah. And, like, you know, I'm more prone to be irritable. And, like, it's not funny. There's, like, all these awful <laughs> things happening in the world, you know. And so in kind of an unexpected way, the pandemic allowed me to shift that.
0: Okay. And so how did you keep yourself from getting to carried away with the work how did you leave the work at the office or i guess in the laptop or computer whatnot and be able to just say okay that was work ashby now i'm going to be at home ashby
1: during the pandemic
0: i would say prior to the pandemic yeah when you were uh you know in the office like like you said you know having to turn it on have to be in your professional mode
1: Mm -hmm. um We do lots of, you know, grounding things at work to try to kind of like mark the end of the day and get in your car or like I would listen to certain music on the way home and try to just like, you know, dwell on the work things as much as I need to and then like sit in my car maybe for a few minutes when I get home and be like, all right, when I'm walking in, I got to leave it or if there's something that's really like heavy even though I obviously can't talk to David about any specifics of what's going on like I'm like hey I had a really hard day this terrible things happened you know or I heard this person's story and that was really difficult and so I also think just being able to communicate those things to my partner makes a huge difference because then he knows either to give me space or that I'm you know requesting like I just want to snuggle on the couch and not talk for 15 minutes and then I'll be able to kind of like be present Um, and so I feel like the communication piece was huge, too, because yeah. sometimes I couldn't just leave it. And that was part of why I we moved to Portland and I ended up moving away from some of that direct service stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know how people do it long term. <laughs> I respect that so much. And I am not one of those people. I yeah,
0: I, I mean, doing so I in my work, which I'm in financial um it, it's been virtual from the get go because some more of our clients are on the East coast. So it's like, okay, I mean, I don't have to interact with them, especially if they're like more difficult to work with. But, um, since I've gotten into like a more client facing role where I'm having actual zoom meetings, I get to meet people or I guess see them on screen and then get to help on a different level. It's been fun. But then I, I would joke around with some of my new teammates and they're like, be careful <laughs> because, Sometimes it can be a little uh, a little too much. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they. I think it does help to have f- other fellow teammates that do go through the crap with you. And then next thing you know, like, oh, okay. Well, you, you know, you've experienced this also. You know how to handle it. And, you know, hearing that other perspective of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the ability to kind of commiserate and then just debrief things yeah. with people who really get it is huge too. Having a supportive team makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. And then... Uh, In terms of with with my partner, just trying to, I think that's something we're figuring out too. It's like, uh, we're starting to slowly get the whole like, I just need like 10 minutes to just sit on the couch and maybe be on our phones and just kind of unwind. Because for me and my personality, I'm like, okay, it's quiet. I feel like I have to talk. I have to say Mm -hmm. something. And um, I think that was something she's taught me. She's like, you don't have to talk all the time. <laughs> you talk at work, you talk for your hobbies. So maybe you could just Simadana.
1: <laughs> I think that's great that you're able to have that, you know, dialogue and learn from each other. And I, that's one of the things that like, if David came home from a stressful day and just needed a little time, mm-hmm. like I would take that personally and think he's mad at me or I've done yeah. something. And so yeah. it's just part of that, like growing and maturing together to be like, yep, take your time. Let me know when you're ready to hang mm-hmm. out.
0: Now, you know, your previous relationship was a lifetime ago, but when you kind of think of the things you're doing now in your relationship, in your marriage with David, are there some things like, wow, I didn't do that previously in my last relationship. Look at that. I'm growing. I feel great.
1: I definitely see that in things that I did or didn't do at the beginning of our relationship.
0: Oh yeah. That's probably better. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we've been together almost 12 years yeah. and so, you know, I was 21 when we got together and... I had very little relationship experience prior to that. And so there were a lot of things that I learned early on. And like you and your partner, you know, David would kindly be like, hey, like, maybe you could try this. You know, like, let's figure things out together. Because I think a lot of it is each of us come with our own history and baggage. And then, like, how can we also grow together in a way that's Mm -hmm. supportive and healthy for both people involved?
0: Yeah. And men are more fixers. That's
1: that's so interesting that's, <laughs> that's a stereotype i've heard, or something i've heard and i feel like i have that tendency more than david i think yep. he's really good at being like what do you need like and just validating whereas i'm like i'm so uncomfortable that you're in pain you know yeah. Yeah. i want to do something to fix it too
0: my partner we saw a video called it's not about the nail um, it's like a minute and a half video where this this couple is sitting on a couch and she's kind of like the camera angles like kind of like on her eyebrows and down, and then she's like venting, and then the guy's like, wa- like looking at her, but also like staring. But then when the camera pans out, there's actually an actual nail sticking out of her head, and then she's like, "It's weird. I have like this pulsating pain. I can't sleep." And the guy's like, "Maybe we could take the nail out." No, it's not that. It's just, <laughs> it's something else. And then. Um, at the end, we, we both talked about it. Like, okay, so it's not about... The, she knows the nail is there, but it's about just being heard.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, your experience being honored. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Emotions are being acknowledged. And I was like, oh, that's a good point I didn't think of.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Because that is exactly like how I would... Like early on in our relationship, that's what I was like. It's like, I want to help you solve all your issues. And then she's like, I just want you to hear my issues.
1: Yeah, I can solve my own issues. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, I'm an adult. Oh my God, me too. That's crazy. Yeah, weird <laughs> how that works. Uh, so, that your year in Colombia, kind of going back to what we were saying mm-hmm. earlier, um, you did some time as a community educator and a youth mentor. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if this fell in that same year yeah, when you're in Colombia, but uh, A, having to finally not just only speak fluent Spanish to David's family, now you have to use it in your everyday language or everyday communication. What was that challenge like?
1: Um, I loved it because it forced me to be like, I would dream in Spanish and just kind of live in it all the time. And David and I typically would still speak English together, but a lot of the most of the time we were there, we were either spending time with family or kids. And so those are kind of like lower stakes groups. You know, I would make mistakes all the time and um, I always ask that David correct me. And so like, great, I want to know, I want to get better. And so sometimes I'd be having a conversation with someone and he would overhear and just, like, throw in a word, a corrected (laughs) word. And I'm like, okay, yeah, thank you. Um, And so I think, like, family and kids both are easier to be like, hey, this is how you say that correctly. Or like, oh, yeah, I understand. People were very kind about it. Um, But I definitely think that that strengthened my Spanish a lot to be living in it all the time.
0: Nice. Uh, When uh, it was probably December when... My brother and I went to Cabo for uh, her cousin's wedding, and I was trying to use my Spanish. I was like, I did two years of, I guess I know, I did four years of Spanish, including high school. So two years in high school, two mm-hmm. years in college. And I was like, I'm going to use it. I'm going to feel great. Everyone already thought I was a, a Spanish speaker or Mexican. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Lean uh, into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, when it all failed, I just kind of like, you know, took it with grace. But... I feel like kind of, you know, when I did have to revert to using my full English, I was like, I feel like I let them down. I thought I was going to be one of those like cool travelers that know Spanish. (laughs) Psych.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate your confidence. And I also think in touristy areas, you know, like those folks need English to do their jobs often. Mm -hmm. And so they're just used to doing it. I wouldn't take it personally.
0: I know. I think. Uh, I, I, I think I told David about this way back when, when I was working at Nike where I was trying to, again, f- practice my Spanish with a couple that came in and because uh, uh, I said hello and they're like, hola. And I was like, oh, game time. <laughs> uh, little did I know they're actually from Mexico or they're from uh, Colombia uh, and they were traveling. Oh, nice. So I was like, ah, oh,
1: this sucks. <laughs> You're like, I want to do so well.
0: This was a bad idea. <laughs> um, but what was your experience like being a youth mentor? In Colombia. Well, what did you do on a daily basis?
1: Um, so we, in Bogota, where we were for about the first half of the year, that's where David grew up, we um, worked on a program through a church um, that, like, served meals to kids. And, like, we helped them with homework, and we gave them English lessons. And I put on a workshop for the moms in the community Um, And so that was lovely. It was really kind of like low low structure. Like a lot of it was just showing up and being like uh, an adult presence, like loving on these kids kind of. And then we spent the second half of the year in Medellin. And so there we got connected with two nonprofit organizations, Mm. Um, one that kind of does like after school-ish care and tutoring and stuff like that. And then one that's... um, it's kind of like a boys' home. I think is how how you would like call it here. So some kiddos who don't have um, parents who can take care of them, and some where the parents can't afford to. Mm-hmm. So the boys live there, and so those both of those programs had a lot more structure around, um, you know, the things that they needed to learn, and they would you know have to go to school and know these lessons. And so a lot of it was like helping them with homework, and again, just being like a nurturing presence mm-hmm. to kind of hang out with them. Okay,
0: um, and then. When you said it's you fund other nonprofits, what does it mean to you to work with nonprofit organizations?
1: Logistically or emotionally?
0: Emotionally. Sometimes uh, logistically. Let's yeah. go with both answers. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: well, I think like there's hopefully less corruption mm-hmm. um in a nonprofit okay. than like certain government entities in different parts of the world. Yeah. Um and so I think basically, like, the mission-driven piece is significant, that it's not about folks trying to profit in, like, a traditional company or business model, but, like, raising money to put back into the communities. And hopefully that's, like, really driven by the communities and informed by what those folks need.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it was, was Cardva a non-profit mm-hmm. also? Yes, I mean, saving and Saving Grace. grace. Yep. Okay.
1: So I've only worked for nonprofits. I, I could tell. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it's like to work at a at a corporation.
0: Um, yeah, so the, the company I'm with now, it's a smaller company. It's a family-owned <laughs> company, probably like 50 to 60 people, um, span across the country. So uh, th- that's been great. But then when comparing that experience to even a company, my previous company I was working for, that was like 100 to like 150 um That 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 alone, that small number of like additional hundred people, just felt a little more unconnected to each other. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where it's like um I can try and talk to someone that's like in the warehouse when I'm at the front desk, and I unfortunately I can't talk long with them. But it's like there's so much more that they're experiencing a daily life that people in the actual office they don't. So. When I left there to go to this my current job, I was like, I like how everyone is so like tight knit, and that's kind of what I felt like. I mean, I've never worked for a nonprofit, but I feel like that's more what the nonprofit world is like. Mm -hmm. They're a little more tight knit. They're a little more like, you know, family oriented or family themed.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think that goes back to like everyone's here for the same reason, Mm. and. There are a lot of difficult things that come with working for any nonprofit. Um, but if everyone's, like, willing to show up and work through those things in order to do the work, it probably highlights a lot of similarities and values and things like that. Yeah. And so it does make it a little easier, even if, like, there are folks that are harder to work with, to be like, and in the end, we're all here for the same reasons.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, again, I will I, – I love Nike. I'm wearing Nike, but when <laughs> I worked for them, it was it was not my, my funnest time. Mm-hmm. So glad – glad you are still You're making a difference in the, the different kinds of organizations thank you so um and then you come back what was it like to have a year off of thinking of you know any kind of work related to domestic violence
1: um it was great <laughs> it was good to get a break <laughs> and then also you know those unfortunately domestic violence is present all over the world and in all types of communities and so it was also hard to work with kids knowing like things were happening at home, um, and yeah, I think it was really good for my mental health to get a to get away from that. But it also meant that I was kind of like refreshed and able yeah. to reengage when when I got to Bend and the opportunity came up. That's
0: true. Okay. Oh, yeah. so this was in between Corvallis and Bend. You guys did that, right? Yes. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. okay. Plus, you got some sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. That helped a lot.
0: That's that's got to be a game changer there. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> give me that vitamin D. <laughs>
0: Um, and then something, again, kind of talking about your time in that part of the world, uh, teaching in Peru. Oh, yeah.
1: What was that like? So um, I was 19. I did a gap year after high school. Okay. Um, so and was way before, David. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, my goal, one of my goals with my gap year was to see if social work is what I really wanted to study. Um, I had kind of been drawn to that and I'd always worked with kids and like provided child care throughout high school. And so... That was my first kind of like foray into actual social services. And so um, that and one other nonprofit kind of like programs what I signed up for. And so I lived in Peru for three months in Lima. And then the program where I was staying had a bunch of volunteers living in a house together. And then they would assign us different kind of like work sites. And a lot of folks would come for a week or two. And I was like, I was committed to really making sure that this is what I wanted to do. So I stayed in that program for three months And so I worked in a like a preschool, I think, um, Uh in a community that was built like outside the city. They nothing is like official, like they have to run power lines from other sources. Uh It was only like dirt and sand, like nothing was paved. Um, And so that was like probably the first experience of true poverty that I had and also getting to really be part of the community was a huge part of like my exposure to that around how people support each other, how the community comes together, even when there are not a lot of financial resources. And then how does educating kids fit into that as like a big priority of the community and folks helping each other out. So it was a really cool experience. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Now was that probably where you got to fully practice your Spanish in, in its entirety versus just, like, here or there back in Washington?
1: Yes, I think so. Yeah, that, that whole year off I spent in Latin America. And so especially yeah. being on my own and being forced to interact with people if I, you know, <laughs> needed anything to buy, you know, buy lunch, walk down the street, make a hotel reservation, anything like that was in Spanish. So that was kind of when I, hmm. yeah, got really solid.
0: Do you experience, like, at that age, um, I'm, I'm when I talked last time with my last guest, I, I mentioned that you know, I, when we were younger, he's my, he was my age, but when we were younger, we didn't know what the things were feeling had definitions. It's mm. like, oh, I'm terrified at this thought. I was like, oh, that's that's what anxiety is? I didn't mm. know that. Um, or it's like, oh, I'm very sad all the time. That's depression? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, did you, I guess, looking back at the experience of teaching and this first time you're submerged for a year, how much anxiety did you feel just trying to make sure that You know, David wasn't there to help, you know, correct anything, but you kind of had to fend for yourself in terms of the language. Um, Were you experiencing anxiety at that point now that you can know what the definitions are and how to apply them? Or are you just like happy-go-lucky?
1: Yeah, I don't. I did not experience anxiety around language, Um, I think, because, like, I didn't know enough to feel anxious. Like, I was like, I'll just... Do my best, and you know there was a little bit of charades and like fumbling through things. (laughs) But I really wanted to learn and wanted to see what how different people live in other parts of the world. And so I didn't. I don't remember having that sense of pride or like fear of how people would see me. Like I was like, yeah, I'm obviously a gringa, just doing my best, you know. And I was happy, (laughs) like thankful for that. And I would have a lot of conversations with like the folks um, who worked at the different programs the staff, the Peruvian staff. And I would just kind of like fumble my way through, but I found that being able to have a conversation with someone, even if it wasn't perfect, was so gratifying that that was really motivating Mm. to keep trying, even if I'm not always understood.
0: Okay. Uh, So I've been, I'm a slow reader, so I'm like trying to get more practice in there, trying to uh, at least finish a book that I started. But the book I'm currently working on uh, it's called Scream by Margie Key, I believe, uh, and so it's just basically she studies fear uh, in different situations. So like it starts out in uh, was it a horse Scream House, like the houses where people jump at you and intentionally scare you for Halloween, uh, and then she goes to like an abandoned prison, uh, and then the Death Forest in Japan. But then towards the the last chapter, she talks about being in Bogota, Colombia and having to find her way home also she's a female kind of young at this point but like trying to walk down the street like a dark questionable street in Colombia, as a woman and you know having to deal with all of the locals you know looking at her and or any of this like you know running through her head of all these other things that could happen uh so it was an interesting chapter to read but did, if you were navigating yourself in Peru, uh, did you ever feel like some fear of like, okay, oh I'm going down the wrong street, not just like, A, I could be going the wrong direction or where I need to go, or B, something could happen?
1: I experienced very little fear on that trip and even in other countries and I remember like walking or walking alone at night with my backpack trying to find the hostel or whatever and I think now in some of those situations I would have a lot more fear but mm. I think I kind of didn't know enough okay. um, and I like did my research and I had like my door to put behind my door every time I rented and I had like different kind of emergency like things ready but I also didn't have like lived experience of what those situations would like call for if that makes sense and so now i feel like oh i've seen so much more of like what people can do to each other that i would have more fear traveling alone and so in a sense i'm really thankful that i didn't have that like i just went out with like heart open let's see what the world has to offer Mm -hmm. um yeah it's kind of wild now i'm like that was i was a brave 19 year old (laughs) i don't know if i do that again but i'm (laughs) I'm thankful for that naivete that you know led me to have those experiences i'm very thankful for
0: yeah, because, um, you know, just I guess when you're in Colombia with David, that's just like a different thing because he knows where everything is. And then again, he can help if there's some sort of block in communication. But yeah, 19, Peru for a year. And I was just like. I'm trying to think of how I was in 19. And I was like, I wouldn't survive in Washington for a weekend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I did my best to, like, not arrive places at night. Like, I yeah. knew all the tricks to talk to the taxi drivers and make sure they knew me and, you know, all those things to look out for. But, yeah, yeah. it all turned out fine. Nice. So leading up to
0: our, our conversation today is that um, I asked, you know, what do you do when you're overwhelmed? So. You make lists. You talk, sleep, read, cry, and other self-care. Um, if you were to look at yourself in Peru and you're trying to find a hostel, but you're getting stressed out and overwhelmed, what, how would you? What would that list look like?
1: Um, maybe that wouldn't be as much of a list circumstance. It's
0: more. Oh Jesus, where am I?
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like pull over. You know, pull myself yeah. over into somewhere with light or where there's people around. Okay. Um, I feel like I always had a pretty good, you know, had thought out like a map ahead of time or like had, I knew where I was supposed to be going. Mm-hmm. Um, but more in terms of like in daily life now, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, okay. then lists are one of my go tos to kind of make it all feel like I can process what's going on, put it down on paper so I don't have to have it in my head kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I feel like if I'm lost in Peru at night by myself, it's probably just going to be like breathing <laughs> techniques. <laughs> and how do I figure out how to get where I'm going?
0: Okay. So let's, let's rephrase my question of yeah. you're working on a house project. Things are going a little sideways. Mm-hmm. What would that list look like?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, that would be like all the things that we have to take care of or right. all the things that we need to buy because that's always a big part with house projects. We have to go to Home Depot four times in a Saturday, yes. you know. Yes. Um, and even now with like, oh, yeah, that one little thing happened. I have to buy that. It helps me to have it all written down. Otherwise, sometimes I'll wake up stressed about like, ah, I'm going to forget about that thing and yeah. something's going to go wrong because I, you know, it wasn't completed or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, things to do and things to buy.
0: Okay. How often do you cry? I guess not yeah, often. No, that's like, a fair what, what are question. some triggers to, to you crying? And then, yeah, is it often? Not yeah.
1: Often. Um, I would say I cry maybe like a few times a month. Okay. Um, I would say overwhelm is a big trigger mm-hmm. and it's helpful for me like to me crying is cathartic and i can kind of like release stuff and let it go and then feel like okay i'm clear-headed now i can work on my list or whatever that looks like um I'm trying to think of other triggers
0: more recently for me like i was not much of a crier but you know once my dad passed away then everything's the floodgates started literally floodgates would start rolling mm-hmm. out um and there, there are times where, str- like, yeah, overwhelmness that I never cried during that, but it's been more of like if there's a moment where like a brother is crying because another brother died or like, uh, you know, I think a, a most prominent example is watching the most recent Black Panther, <laughs> just seeing all the funerals. Spoiler for people who haven't watched it. but um, <laughs> It's too late. Too late now. But uh, yeah, those, those funeral scenes or any scene where like a father... You know, the repairing a relationship with a son or daughter, whatever it could be. Um, those ones are, are starting. Where that's where I can start to feel a boiling of like, okay, whew, I'm good. I'm good, yeah. right I'm good right now.
1: I get that. It's I've heard some somewhere about sympathetic criers, mm-hmm. which I think I am sometimes. Uh, and I am able to not do that at work, but like if I someone I know and care about is feeling really emotional, like sometimes my eyes will well up. Yeah. Or like you're talking about situations that parallel things that either you've experienced or that you fear, I think. Yeah. Like whenever I watch movies where one partner dies and the other partner is grieving, I'm like, it feels too real. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, it, yeah. It all hurts. I'm <laughs> in it, yeah, exactly.
0: I have only seen David cry once and that was at your guys' wedding. I did
1: yeah. not know he cried at our wedding.
0: I think he was uh I don't I mean it was at when you guys were standing at the altar mm-hmm. and then I think you're about to you didn't He didn't do vows, but you might have done that I don't know what you guys were did beforehand, but um I just remember seeing him up there and then he just like started doing you know, wiping his finger under his eye.
1: Maybe the light was in his eye. <laughs> we'll call it that. We'll call it that.
0: Is he much of a cryer?
1: And um, no. I do not think so. Not as much. He's very, he's, you know, emotionally expressive. Crying is more my deal in our household. Uh, That's how you divide it up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I claim that.
0: Uh, What are other self-care things that you do that I didn't already say?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I love to cook and I find that really gratifying, especially like after a hard work day where things don't feel tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to like create a yummy healthy meal you know maybe healthy maybe not um (laughs) you know and for for people i love i find that really um satisfying and like i can take care of myself while taking care of other people i love a hot bath like a bubble bath ooh i don't have a tub big enough but when i have the opportunity (laughs) you know i'm taking advantage of that Yeah. yeah um I mean exercise it's like so boring because it's such a typical thing but honestly like walking outside in the fresh air walking the dog or something helps a lot
0: I was about to say because so uh, David and I wrestled uh, I guess his senior year my freshman year and then fast forward to time in college and I was like I felt good my body was feeling good working out a lot and then david flexed his arm he's like i don't do push-ups this is all natural <laughs> i'm like all right all right and then I'm, when you say that, i'm just like i have never actually seen you guys i guess i don't know you guys are probably not gym goers but it's like i don't think i've ever seen like an actual like sweat bead go
1: down <laughs> <laughs> well in our old building there was a gym oh, so okay, we yeah. went every day then which was great yeah. um I don't know. I don't don't like to sweat that much. (laughs) I'm good with walking, some yoga, low-key exercise. (laughs) Oh,
0: there you go. There you go. Uh, And then kind of tying into your cooking, and then it's kind of for you, kind of for David also, Mm -hmm. or kind of for anyone else you want to cook for. Um, Something you mentioned to me in our talks leading up to this was that you still have to figure out setting boundaries. That's still Mm -hmm. something you're working on. Um, and then I'm uh, me as well. When it comes to, uh, I guess when it comes to like work, for example, it's like, I always want to be what they call a quote unquote. Yes, man. Of course I'll do that for you. Whatever you need. Happy to help. Even though my, you know, my, my own work, we kind of suffer because I'm doing something else, uh, for you when it comes to someone asking you to do something that's a little outside your comfort bubble. Like how do you, what do you do? in when processing that kind of request,
1: One of the first things is kind of evaluate for myself. Is this like outside my comfort bubble in a way that's going to be like a growing edge, you know, Mm -hmm. like a little stretch, like doing this interview with you, for example. And then there's also like, no, or is it I'm really overwhelmed and whether that's at work or in my personal life, and I just don't have the, you know, space or mental capacity to do that. In which case, like, am I just going to harm myself a little bit by taking on something for someone else? And Mm -hmm. so that's like the question that I try to ask myself um, and then to like will it benefit someone else you know that I think factors in or is it just something that needs to be done and me doing it right now is not gonna mm. make much of a difference but could be to my own detriment you know I think a lot of it for me is around like capacity and trying to like keep everything balanced yeah. for my own self
0: yeah I think so in my own therapy session I I, I mentioned that it's like oh yeah I want to make I want to help as much as I can. He's like, "Do you know what that's called?" I was like, "Being helpful. I it's it's called being helpful." <laughs> Generosity? <laughs> yeah. <You know?
1: laughs>
0: He's like, "No, you're you're being codependent or you know, you're putting everyone else in front of yourself and So I'm like, "Oh, snap. Damn, that's what that's called." Hmm. But he started to tell like you no, know, he would ask me like, um, how often do you say no now?" So it's like it's not like I'm actually saying no, it's more of like I'm handing, I'm shifting that person asking me the question to someone else. So that's that's been interesting. You know, just trying to be like, okay, I can answer this but you should really talk to this person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot about, at work about how boundaries aren't to keep people out, there, to keep people safe too. When it like oh. feels hard to say no to someone or yeah. a buddy is like, "Let's hang out." And you're like, "I've had a horrible day. Yeah. I'm just trying to like stay in and do my own thing," you know? Yeah. So, I don't think I don't think boundaries should be hurting anyone, sure. but like it's keeping all of us safe, whatever that looks like.
0: True well, thank you for lowering your boundaries and, you know, (laughs) talking with with me on this new level.
1: Thanks for the opportunity to stretch a little bit.
0: (laughs) I I know. I was just like, I think, so, you know, my partner always asked me, like, how are you feeling about your upcoming interview? I was like, I think it will be great because, A, I get to talk with them and, B, get their story out there to everyone to listen across the world. Um, But then, C, is like, when was the last time I really talked to this person? Like, when was the last time I actually, like, these are the questions that go through my head. I was like, when was the last time I actually, like, figure out what's going on in their life? I was like, for Ashby, I was like, never. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we've
1: had, yeah, like, you are saying, lots of, like, brief interactions over many yeah. years, and it's great to get to, like, have some longer set-aside time with you.
0: I know. And then uh, I think I teased you a couple times, at least towards the end of 2022-ish, saying, like, hey, Ashby. Your time could be coming. I'm going to be talking to you.
1: <laughs> You're planting seeds, yeah. <laughs> I
0: was planting seeds. I believe they call that foreshadowing. Mm, uh, there you go. Learning. Um, and then the last thing I want to ask you is just when it comes to kind of, I guess it's kind of tying into this whole setting boundaries and trying to um, figure out what's best for you while also figuring out, oh, hey, I can, I can lend some time. Um, for me, when it comes to, Helping out with someone, and I don't live up to their standards, or like I ask a question, it could be a simple thing of like, "Hey, can you grab this for me?" and I'd be like, "I can, but I can't do it right now." And then they're like, "Never mind, I can go get myself." I'm just like, oh, "Did I just knock like my status in their mind down a couple of notches?" And then that's where I kind of, kind of uh, spiral a little bit. So when it comes for you and you're high in the standards you set for yourself like okay uh let's take this morning for example of like let's say let's let's meet at 11 to do this interview Mm -hmm. you had to be 15 minutes late what was going through your mind as you're kind of like heading over here like
1: oh i felt bad because (laughs) it I was not able to follow through with what I'd committed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even something like that is like, oh, dang, I have really hard high standards for myself. That's frustrating. Like, I get frustrated when people are late. So I don't want to be causing that to someone else. And even though you were really gracious and said, oh, not a problem. I was like, God, I still feel like a jerk. Like, that's disrespectful <laughs> of Keone's time. And now I feel like I've messed up. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like one of my big lessons right now is being gentle with myself and other people mm-hmm. and being like, everyone's doing their best. Like the world is a tough place, mm-hmm. even more so now, I think. And if we can all just try to assume everyone's doing their best, like assume best intent, yeah. um, I think that goes far. And so I do find it's easier for me to be like gentle with other people than myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I'm working on and trying to be like, all right, I messed that up. Well, I made a mistake. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person, you know. Yeah. Like that doesn't yeah. negate all these other things that I know to be true about myself.
0: True, true. Are you seeing a therapist at all? Or are, I am not currently, but I am, kind of am
1: pro therapy. I've pro-therapy. seen a lot of therapists over the years. Everyone should be in therapy, myself included. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because second, like you were some form of a therapist in your work now, and also with Cardva. So, um, I didn't know if someone was also there. Also, if David is your kind of therapist, hey, that works too.
1: Yeah, I, I have <laughs> thankfully several people in my life that are really supportive and that I can talk about good and bad things. Um, yeah, I do some peer counseling now, mm, okay. um, but I don't have like a, any higher degree in, in therapy or counseling, anything like that. Sure. Um, my mom is a therapist though, so oh. I can often get, you know, free therapy that way. You know? There you go. Yeah. There
0: you go. Um, growing up then, I guess now it was towards the end of my last questions, but mm-hmm. growing up then, uh, I, I just, I just always thought of like a parent or, um, a, a, the child of a parent that the therapist, they, they must don't, they must not know how to be, uh, how, they must not know how to keep things to themselves. They must not know how to, you know, keep things secretive. They must always tell their emotions. They must always share everything. They don't have a filter at all. With your mom, did she always ask the follow-up questions or did she just got to the surface level, called it good, and then was it the slow game in terms of just getting you to open up to her?
1: um my family when i was growing up and still family is very close and my mom i should clarify did not become a therapist until i was in college uh, okay. and so i didn't okay. grow up with that piece Um, present but we talked about emotion a lot in my family we talked about mental health like you were talking about like not knowing the death like the names for things like anxiety depression like those were things we talked about in my house since we were pretty young Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was always really easy to open up and talk about emotions and feel like everyone can cry any Mm -hmm. gender you know like that was always very encouraged (laughs) and embraced in my family and so Maybe that's part of why, too. Like, my mom chose to take a mental health career path. I'm in a somewhat similar field um, yeah. because of always being taught, like, emotion. Every emotions are neutral. Everyone has them. It's mm-hmm. like what you do with them that matters.
0: Uh, so, Ashby, as we wrap up, I like to ask two questions from this packet of a 160 hypothetical questions. Okay. Just something fun to do to kind of, you know, we, we talked about emotions so much. So let's have a little, a little fun with this.
1: I like it. Let's lighten it up.
0: This could speak to your nature. Um, you are driving alone in your car on a wild, stormy night, as it is, and it's raining heavily. Suddenly, you pass by a bus stop, and you see three people waiting for a bus. What do you do?
1: Um, I watch too much True, true Crime to pull over <laughs> and let strangers into my car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, if I If yeah. I were with someone probably a dude if i'm honest and yeah. there was like someone's car broke down yeah like i would think like to think that i would help them yeah but i would not just let three strangers in my car by myself yeah,
0: yeah that's i mean there's it, a lot of factors going that's like how do the people look are they like you know in semi good attire it's not like tattered or it's like I feel like no, I'm starting to maybe dig myself in a hole here, but, yeah, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just more like, yeah, you, you can never tell you know, just by looking at people. Totally. But if it's like, oh, I think I guess it more if it's like, if it was like, oh, my grandma and like two other people. Sure. I know you're attached to my grandma. I'll bring them on in. But it's more like <laughs> My grandma's vouching for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I would be hesitant, but I think I would check my rear view mirror. It's like, okay, bus is coming.
1: They're good. Oh yeah, totally. If the bus is coming. They're good. Is the is the bus stop covered? You know. Yeah.
0: Oh, see all these factors. Yeah. Hypothetical world. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, superheroes. I mean, you're in this room filled with superhero posters and whatnot. Um, which of your friends would you choose as your psychic if you were a superhero, and what would their powers be?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I was gonna say I don't know hardly anything about superheroes.
0: Totally fine. You don't need to know much. Um, a sidekick. Go ahead. Search the room. I know. I'm
1: like. <laughs> First off,
0: who, who, out of your friends, who would you, who would you pick to be, uh, your sidekick? <laughs> Let's take it bit by bit.
1: <laughs> I don't know why my little brother is coming to mind. Little brother sidekick—that feels sure. appropriate. Yeah. yeah, I'll go with Judson.
0: There you go. Uh, what would it, what would his powers be?
1: Um, Some, like, protective loyalty thing. Some, like, uh, shield that he can throw around us or something like that.
0: Very Captain America-like.
1: Yeah, that feels appropriate. There you go. Mm -hmm. There you go.
0: (laughs) Ashby Rodriguez, you officially have a podcast episode to your name. Wow. How do you feel?
1: I feel accomplished. Yeah? Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been really interesting.
0: I know you have only been in interview settings for a job, so... Um, in terms of this setting not really a job ish i mean who knows i might hire you on as an intern but (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) um i know yeah no other than linkedin nothing really social media for you wise what's what's a final message you have for the people then
1: be good to each other
0: that's it that's all that's good enough for me let's call it good thank you so much ashby thank you canny giant thank you to the guests for telling their story and a giant thank you to you for sticking around until the end of the episode if you like what you heard and want more episodes from keoni chats subscribe on your preferred podcast platform and be in the loop for when new episodes are released you can also get notified through social media when you follow KC Media 13 on both instagram and twitter and conluke media on facebook if you're interested in becoming a guest on the show Email me your story at kcmedia13 at yahoo.com. I'd love to talk with you and uh, get an interview scheduled. So until the next episode, everyone, please take care.